Hello, and welcome back to the podcast.、Uh, today, I have part two of Neville Goddard's、uh, 1948 lecture, No One to Change But Self. And this was lesson four of five lectures. So,、um, I recorded the first part in the last podcast. So, again, this is part two of No One to Change But Self. Neville continues, Let me now retell. And emphasize an experience of mine printed by me two years ago under the title The Search. I think it would help you to understand this law of consciousness and show you that you have no one to change but self, for you are incapable of seeing other than the contents of your own consciousness. Once in an idle interval at sea, I meditated on the perfect state and wondered what I would be were I. Of two pure eyes to behold iniquity. If to me all things were pure, and were I without condemnation, as I, become, or as I became lost in this fiery broading, I found myself lifted above the dark environment of the senses. So intense was feeling, I felt myself a being of fire dwelling in a body of air. Voices as from a heavenly chorus, with the exaltation of those who had been conquerors in a conflict with death, were singing. He is risen, he is risen. And intuitively I knew they meant me. Then I seemed to be walking in the night. I soon came upon a scene that might have been the ancient pool of Bethesda, for in this place lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting not for the moving of the waters as of tradition, but waiting for me. As I came near, without thought or effort on my part, they were one after the other molded as by the magician of the beautiful. Eyes, hands, feet, all missing members were drawn from some invisible reservoir and molded in harmony with that perfection which I felt springing within me. When all were made perfect, the chorus exulted, It is finished. I know this vision was the result of my intense meditation upon the idea of perfection, for my meditations invariably bring about union with the state contemplated. I had been so completely absorbed within the idea that for a while I had become what I contemplated, and the high purpose with which I had for that moment identified myself drew the companionship. Of high things and fashion the vision in harmony with my inner nature. The ideal with which we are united works by association of ideas to awaken a thousand moods to create a drama in keeping with the central idea. My mystical experiences have convinced me that there is no way to bring about the perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. As soon as we succeed in transforming ourselves, The world will melt magically before our eyes and reshape itself in harmony with that which, we, with that which our transformation affirms. We fashion the world that surrounds us by the intensity of our imagination and feeling, and we illuminate our dark, or darken our lives by the concepts we hold of ourselves. Nothing is more important to us than our conception of ourselves. And especially is true of our concept of the deep, dimensionally greater one within us. Those that help or hinder us, whether they know it or not, 
are the servants of that law which shapes outward circumstances in harmony with our inner nature. It is our conception of ourselves which frees or constrains us, though it may use material agencies to achieve its purpose. Because life molds the outer world to reflect the inner arrangement of our minds, there is no way of bringing about the outer perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. No help cometh from without the hills to which we lift our eyes are those of an inner range. It is thus to our own consciousness that we must turn as to the only reality, the only foundation on which all phenomena can be explained. We can rely absolutely on this justice of this law to give us only only that which is of the nature of ourselves. To attempt to change the world before we change our concept of ourselves is to struggle against the nature of things. There can be no outer change until there is first an inner change. As within, so without. I am not advocating philosophical indifference when I suggest that we should imagine ourselves as already that which we want to be, living in a mental atmosphere of greatness rather than using physical means and arguments to bring about the desired changes. Everything we do, unaccompanied by a change of consciousness, is but futile readjustments of surfaces. However, we toil or struggle we can receive no more than our concepts of self affirm. To protest against anything which happens to us is to protest against the law of our being and our rulership over our own destiny. The circumstances of my life are too closely related to my conception of myself not to have been formed by my own spirit from some dimensionally larger storehouse of my being. If there is pain to me in these happenings, I should look within myself for the cause, for I am moved here and there and made to live in a world in harmony with my concept of myself. If we would become as emotionally aroused over ideas or over our ideas as we become over our dislikes, we would ascend to the plane of our ideal as easily as we now descend to the level of our hates. Love and hate have a magical transforming power, and we grow through their exercise into the likeness of what we contemplate. By intensity of hatred, we create in ourselves the character we imagine in our enemies. Qualities die for want of attention, so the unlovely states might best be rubbed out by imagining. Beauty for ashes and joy for mourning, rather than by direct attacks on the state from which we would be free. Whatsoever things are lovely and of good report, think on these things, for we become that which we are and rapport. There is nothing to change but our concept of self. As soon as we succeed in transforming self, our world will dissolve and reshape itself in harmony with that which our change affirms. I, by descent in consciousness, have brought about the imperfection that I see. In the divine economy, nothing is lost. We cannot lose anything save by descent in consciousness from the sphere where the thing has its natural life. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 17, 5. 
As I ascend in consciousness, the power and the glory that was mine return to me, and I too will say, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. The work is to return from my descent in consciousness, from the level wherein I believed that I was a son of man, to the sphere where I know that I am one with my Father and my Father is God. I know beyond all doubt that there is nothing for man to do but to change his own concept of himself, to assume greatness and sustain this assumption. If we walk as though we were already the ideal we serve, we will rise to the level of our assumptions and find a world in harmony with our assumption. We will not have to lift a finger to make it so, for it is already so. It was always so. You and I have descended in consciousness to the level where we now find ourselves and we see imperfection because we have descended. When we begin to ascend, while here in this three-dimensional world, we find that we move in an entirely different environment. We have already, or we have entirely different circles of friends and an entirely different world while still living here. We know the great mystery of the statement, I am in the world, but not of it. Instead of changing things, I would suggest to all to identify themselves with the ideal they contemplate. What would the feeling be like for you of two pure eyes to behold iniquity, if to you all things were pure, and you were without condemnation? Contemplate the the ideal state, and identify yourself with it, and you will ascend to the sphere, where you as Christ have have your natural life. You are still in that state where you were before where you were before the world was. The only thing that has fallen is your concept of self. You see the broken parts which really are not broken. You are seeing them through distorted eyes as though you were in one of those peculiar amusement galleries where a man walks before a mirror and he is elongated, yet he is the same man. Or he looks into another mirror and he is all big and fat. These things are seen today because man is what he is. Toy with the idea of perfection. Ask no man to help you, but let the prayer of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of St. John be your prayer. Appropriate the state that was yours before the world was. Know the truth of the statement. None have I lost, save the son of perdition. Nothing is lost in all my holy mountain. The only thing that you lose is the belief in loss or the son of perdition. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. John 17, 19. There is no one to change but self. All you need do to make men and women holy in this world is to make yourself holy. You are incapable of seeing anything that is unlovely when you establish within your own mind's eye the fact that you are lovely. It is far better to know this than to know anything else in the world. It takes courage, boundless courage, because many this night, after having heard this truth, will still be inclined to blame others for their predicament. Man finds it so difficult to turn to himself, to his own consciousness, as to the only reality. Listen to these words. No man can come to me except the Father which hath drawn me near, or hath sent me draw him. John 6, 4, 4. I and my father are one. John 10, 30. A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. John three twenty seven. 
Therefore do, doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. John, John 10, 17 and 18. You did not choose me, I have chosen you. My concept of myself molds a world in harmony with itself and draws men to tell me constantly by their behavior who I am. The most important thing in this world to you is your concept of self. When you dislike your environment, the circumstances of life, and the behavior of men, ask yourself, who am I? It is your answer to this question that is the cause of your dislikes. If you do not condemn self, there will be no man in your world to condemn you. If you are living in the consciousness of your ideal, you will see nothing to condemn. To the pure, all things are pure. I would like to spend a little time making as clear as I can what I personally do when I pray, what I do when I want to bring about changes in my world. You will find it interesting and you will find that it works. No one here can tell me they cannot do it. It is so very simple. All can do it. We are what we imagine we are. The technique is not difficult to follow, but you must want to do it. You cannot approach it with the attitude of mind, oh, well, I'll try it. You must want to do it because the mainspring of action is desire. Desire is a mainspring of or is a mainspring of action. Now, what do I want? I must define my objective. For example, suppose I want now to be elsewhere. This very moment, I really desire to be elsewhere. I need not go through the door. I need not sit down. I need to do or I need do nothing but stand just where I am. And with my eyes closed, assume that I am actually standing where I desire to be. Then I remain in this state until it has the feeling of reality. Were I now elsewhere, I could not see the world as I now see it from here. The world changes in its relationship to me as I change my position in space. So I stand right here, close my eyes, and imagine I am seeing what I would see were I there. I remain in it long enough to feel it to be real. I cannot touch the walls of this room from here, but when you close your eyes and become still, you can imagine and feel that you touch it. You can stand where you are and imagine you are putting your hand on the wall to prove you really are. Put it there and slide it up and feel the wood. You can imagine you are doing it without getting off your seat. You can do it and you will actually feel it if you become still enough and intense enough. I stand where I am and I allow the world that I want to see and to enter physically to come before me as though I were there now. In other words, I bring elsewhere here by assuming that I am there. Is that clear? I let it come up. I do, I do not make it come up. I simply imagine I am there and then let it happen. If I want a physical presence, I imagine he is standing here and I touch him all through the Bible. I find these suggestions. His, he placed his hands upon them. He touched them. If you want to comfort someone, what is the automatic feeling? To put your hand on them. You cannot resist it. You meet a friend and the hand goes out automatically. You either shake hands or put your hand on his shoulder. Suppose you were now to meet a friend that you have not seen for a year, and he is a friend of whom you are very fond. What would you do? You would embrace him, wouldn't you? Or you would put your hand upon him? In your imagination, bring him close enough to put your hand upon him and feel him to be solidly real. Restrict the action to just that. You will be amazed at what happens. 
From then on, things begin to move. Your dimensionally greater self will inspire in all the ideas and actions necessary to bring you into physical contact. It works that way. Every day I put myself into the drowsy state. It is a very easy thing to do. But habit is a strange thing in man's world. It is not law, but habit acts as though it were the most compelling law in the world. We are creatures of habit. If you create an interval every day into which you put yourself into the drowsy state, say at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, do you know at that very moment every day you will feel drowsy? You try it for one week and see if I am not right. You sit down for the purpose of creating a state akin to sleep, as though you were sleepy. But do not push the drowsiness too far, just far enough to relax and leave you in control of the direction of your thoughts. You try it for one week, and every day at that hour, no matter what you are doing, you will hardly be able to keep your eyes open. If you know the hour when you will be free, you can create it. I would not suggest that you do it lightly because you will feel very, very sleepy and you might not want to. I have another way of praying. In this case, I always sit down and I find the most comfortable armchair imaginable. I lie flat on my back and relax completely. Make yourself comfortable. You must not be in any position where the body is distressed. Always put yourself into a position where you have the greatest ease. That is the first stage. To know what you want is to start a prayer. Secondly, you construct in your mind's eye one single little event, which implies that you have realized your desire. I always let my mind roam on many things that could follow the answered prayer. And I single out one that is most likely to follow the fulfillment of my desire. One simple little thing like the shaking of a hand embracing a person, the receiving of a letter, the writing of a check, or whatever would imply the fulfillment of your desire. After you have decided on the action which implies that your desire has been realized, then sit in your nice comfortable chair or lie flat on your back. Close your eyes for the simple reason it helps to induce the state that borders on sleep. The minute you feel this lovely drowsy state or the feeling of gathered togetherness wherein you feel I could move if I wanted to, but I do not want to. I could open my eyes if I wanted to, but I do not want to. When you get that feeling, you can be quite sure that you are in the perfect state to pray successfully. In this feeling, it is easy to touch anything in this world. You take the simple little restricted action which implies fulfillment of your prayer, and you feel it or you enact it. Whatever it is, you enter into the action as though you were an actor in the part. You do not sit back and visualize yourself doing it. You do it. With the body immobilized, you imagine that the greater you inside the physical body is coming out of it and that you are actually performing the proposed action. If you are going to walk, you imagine that you are walking. Do not see yourself walk. Feel that you are walking. If you are going to climb stairs, feel that you are climbing the stairs. Do not visualize yourself doing it. If you are going to shake a man's hand, do not visualize yourself shaking his hand. Imagine your friend is standing before you and shake his hand. But leave your physical hands immobilized. Imagine that your greater hand, which is your imaginary hand, is actually shaking his hand. All you need to do is to imagine that you are doing it. You are stretched out in time and what you are doing, which seems to be a controlled daydream, is an actual act in the greater dimension of your being. You are actually encountering an event fourth dimensionally before you encounter it here in the three dimensions of space, and you do not have to raise a finger to bring that state to pass. My third way of praying is simply to feel thankful. If I want something, either for myself or another, I immobilize the physical body. Then I produce the state akin to sleep, 
and in that state just feel happy. Feel thankful, which thankfulness implies realization of what I want. I assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled and with my mind dominated by the single sensation I go to sleep. I need do nothing to make it so because it is so. My feeling of the wish fulfilled implies it is done. All these techniques you can use and change them to fit your temperament. But I must emphasize the necessity of inducing the drowsy state where you can become attentive, attentive without effort. A single sensation dominates the mind if you pray successfully. What would I feel like now were, were, I what I, were I what I want to be? When I know what the feeling would be like, I then close my eyes and lose myself in that single sensation. And my dimensionally greater self then builds a bridge of incidents to lead me from this present moment to the fulfillment of my mood. That is all you need to do. But people have a habit of sliding the importance of simple things. We are creatures of habit and we are slowly learning to relinquish our previous concepts. But the things we formerly live by still in some way influence our behavior. There is a story from the Bible that illustrates my point. It is recorded that Jesus told his disciples to go to the crossroads where they would find a colt, a young colt not ridden by a man, to bring the colt to him if any man asks, why do you take this colt? Say the Lord has need of it. They went to the crossroads and found the colt and did exactly as they were told. They brought the unbridled ass to Jesus and he rode it triumphantly, triumphantly into Jerusalem. The story has nothing to do with a man riding on a little colt. You are Jesus of the story. The colt is the mood you are going to assume. That is the living animal not yet ridden by you. What would the feeling be like were you to realize your desire? A new feeling like a young colt is a very difficult thing to ride unless you ride him with a disciplined mind. If I do not remain faithful to the mood, the young colt throws me off. Every time you become conscious that you are not faithful of this mood, you become or you have been thrown from the cult. Discipline your mind that you may remain faithful to a high mood and ride it triumphantly into Jerusalem, which is fulfillment or the city of peace. This story precedes the feast of the Passover. If we would pass from our present state into that of our ideal, we must assume that we are already that which we desire to be and remain faithful to our assumption, for we must keep a high mood if we would walk with the highest. A fixed attitude of mind, feeling that it is done, will make it so. If I walk as though it were, but every once in a while I look to see if it really is, then I fall off my mood or cult. If I would have suspended, if I would suspend judgment like Peter, I could walk on the water. Peter starts walking on the water, and then he begins to look unto his own understanding that he begins to go down. The voice said, look up, Peter. Peter looks up, and he rises again and continues walking on the water. Instead of looking down to see if, thing, if this thing is really going to harden into fact, you simply know that it is already so. Sustain that mood and you will ride the unbridled colt into the city of Jerusalem. All of us must learn to ride the animal straight into Jerusalem, unassisted by a man. You do not need another to help you. The strange thing is that as we keep the high mood and do not fall, others cushion the blow. They spread the palm leaves before me to cushion my journey. I do not have to be concerned. The shocks will be softened as I move into the fulfillment of my desire. My high mood awakens in others the ideas and actions which tend towards the embodiment of my mood. 
If you walk faithful to a high mood, there will be no opposition and no competition. The test of a teacher or a teaching is to be found in the faithfulness of the taught. I am leaving here on Sunday night. Do remain faithful to this instruction. If you look for a cause outside the consciousness of man, then I have not convinced you of the reality of consciousness. If you look for excuses for failure, you will always find them, for you find what you seek. If you seek an excuse of failure, you will find it in the stars, in the numbers, in the teacup, or most any place. The excuse will not be there, but you will find it to justify your failure. Successful business and professional men and women knew that this law works. You will not find it in gossip groups, but you will find it in courageous hearts. Man's eternal journey is for one purpose, to reveal the Father. He comes to make visible his Father, and his Father is made visible in all the lovely things of this world. All the things that are lovely, that are of good report, ride these things and have no time for the unlovely in this world, regardless of what it is. Remain faithful to the knowledge that your consciousness, your I amness, your awareness of being aware the only reality. It is this rock on which all phenomena can be explained. There is no explanation outside of that. I know of no clear concept, conception of the origin of phenomena save that consciousness is all and all is consciousness. That which you seek is already housed within you. Were it not now within you, eternity could not evolve it. No time stretch would be long enough to evolve what is not potentially involved in you. You simply let it into being by assuming that it is already visible in your world and remaining faithful to your assumption. It will harden into fact. Your father has unnumbered ways of revealing your assumption. Fix this in your mind and always remember. An assumption, though false, if sustained, will harden into fact. You and your father are one, and your father is everything that was, is, and will be. Therefore, that which you seek, you already are. It can never be so off, so far off as to even be near, for nearness implies separation. The great Pascal said, you never would have sought me had you not already found me. What you now desire, you already have, and you seek it only because you have already found it. You found it in the form of desire. It is just as real in the form of desire as it is going to be to your bodily organs. You are already that which you seek, and you have no one to change but self in order to express it. Okay, so that is the end of part two of Neville Goddard's lecture, No One to Change But Self. And again, this was lesson four of five lectures that Neville gave in 1948. So uh, thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you in the next podcast for um, lesson five, which is remain faithful to your to your idea. All right. Thank you so much.